The question of the evening is, what happens when we die? What happens when we die? I went to my first source of information, this morning's obituaries. I figured that would tell me. It actually does. Most of these people just died, it says. Some of them passed away. Some of them passed suddenly. Some of them passed peacefully. Some of them went to be with the Lord. One passed into eternity. One has been called to serve a greater purpose. One traveled to her maker's home. One went to eternal rest. One was translated into glory. That's what the paper says. Not out of all of today's. I've looked at a few more to get a few different sayings. But the vast majority, not the vast majority, but easily 50%, it just says this person died on this date. They were born on this date, died on this date. Some people add a few more things. They passed Suddenly, peacefully, they went here, they went there. But you realize that's not a very good source. Some of you are old enough to remember the group called Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Wrote a lot of good songs back when they wrote good songs, by the way. Uh, One they wrote was called When I Die. Some of you may remember that. The chorus said, and when I die and when I'm gone... There will be one child born in this world to carry on. That's probably the part most of us remember. That was kind of the, the catchphrase of the song. But here's the first verse. I'm not scared of dying, and I don't really care. If it's peace you find in dying, well, then let the time be near. If it's peace you find in dying, and if dying time is here, just bundle up my coffin because it's cold way down there. I hear that it's cold way down there. Yeah, crazy cold way down there. The second verse says, Now troubles are many, they're as deep as a well. I can swear there ain't no heaven, but I pray there ain't no hell. Swear there ain't no heaven, and I pray there ain't no hell, but I'll never know by living. Only my dying will tell. Yes, only my dying will tell. Yeah, only my dying will tell. They got most of that wrong, but they got that last part right. Dying will tell. Uh, The rest of it, we're a little uncertain about. We're a lot uncertain about. And the reason is, in every study we do, when we're uncertain about something, it's because this book doesn't tell us. We don't know about the afterlife. It doesn't give us many details. Nobody's been there and come back and reported in great detail, what, or any detail, what it's like after death. So, in this study that we're doing, and the topics are what people want to know about the Bible, one big one is the afterlife. What happens at the end times? What happens when we die? And what's heaven going to be like? And hell going to be like? And, and all of that. And we've broken it into seven different minor topics, and tonight we tackle the third one. The intermediate state. 
Now, we talked about eschatology last week. General eschatology has to do with the end of time, the last things, the study of that. But this one is a little bit outside that study because an individual dies, individuals die at different times before the end times. So you could say this is kind of personal eschatology. What happens when a person dies? I mean, that's the question that we're messing with tonight. Exactly what happens to a human being when they experience physical death? Now, our first two, understanding prophecy and the millennium, kind of just erased some questions we might have about stuff. Now we're getting really toward the eschatology. This is what happens to us when we die. And then next week or two weeks from now, depending on how fast we go tonight, we'll talk about the real end time. The second coming, the judgment, heaven, hell. Uh, But tonight, the intermediate state, what happens when you and I die? What happened when our loved ones died that have passed on? All right, two things we're going to talk about, and probably we'll do good to get through the reality tonight. But first of all, is there an intermediate state? There's a lot of people that don't believe there is an intermediate state. And by intermediate state, I wrote a statement here on your your handout. Uh, I believe that the Bible teaches that at death our souls survive the disintegration of our body. Our physical body goes back to the grave. It goes back to dust. But our, our spiritual self, our soul, our spirit, whatever you want to call it, survives. Uh, and it will not be raised nor reclothed, or our physical body won't be raised or reclothed with their spiritual body until the day of the resurrection. So in between there, we're in this state of existence our spirit is, where we're conscious of our condition, we're conscious of our surroundings, and we're conscious of the passage of time. And that's what I think the Bible teaches. There's people that disagree with that. In fact, we'll spend a little bit of our time tonight talking about why they disagree and some other theories of that. But let's just recap again. What we know for sure is we all die. And the spirit leaves the body. We believe that much. Almost everybody agrees on that. Some folks don't, but we'll get to them. The spirit leaves the body. The body goes to the grave. The spirit goes somewhere. The next thing we know is the resurrection, Jesus coming back, final judgment, all of that. There's a period in there that the Bible doesn't tell us much about. That's what we're talking about. What is that state? My position is that our spirit remains in a conscious state, an intermediate state, and knows what condition we're in, what our surroundings are, and passage of time. So that's where we're starting. Now, let's first cover two doctrines that deny that's true. Okay, One is people that have, I called it the extinction recreation view, uh, these are people, and just let me mention first of all, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, this is what they believe. They have a view of mankind that he's not a dual nature. The body and spirit aren't two separate things. Okay. 
they have it. I put some big words in here. Uh, they have a materialistic, monistic view of man. There's one material. Monistic, monogamous means one. And, and there's one materialistic thing that is the person. The body and spirit and all of that is inseparable. There's not a spirit that separates from the body. It's all together. So when you destroy the body, when you kill the body, the soul or spirit, the other part, not the other part, the integral part of that person goes away also. It's extinguished. You say, well, don't they believe in heaven and stuff like that? Yeah, but they think in that interim period... It's not going to be an intermediate state. It's just an intermediate time. You're just gone. And then when God's ready to take everybody to heaven, he recreates you. He'll bring it all back somehow. The the one spirit body entity that's not separable, he'll give it life again. And at the resurrection, uh, he'll recreate everybody in their final bodily form. And they will then be ready for heaven or hell or whatever. But they're not around during that interim state. I mean, interim period. Okay? Now, that's not believable to me, but it comes all from where you start. If you define man that way, that he doesn't have a dual nature, then you got to go there. Okay? And this has been going on for thousands of years. It's not just... A couple of cults these days. It's as old as Plato, at least. Plato and Socrates and some of them said that a person has a soul. That's different from a person being a soul. Either a person is a soul or a person has a soul. That's a big distinction. Okay? So Socrates and those said that a person has a soul. That soul is immortal. Okay? Now, people that believe that thought, it's real easy to go from there to reincarnation and that kind of thing. If the soul's immortal, the body dies, where's the soul go? Well, some people, like Hindus and stuff, put it in another body. It just keeps finding another body, and it's reincarnated in a different carnation. Yeah. Uh, others, instead of saying that a person has a soul, they say a person is a soul. That's the Jehovah's Witness and those. They say it, it's made out of one material. Uh, when the body decays, the soul decays also. It, it just doesn't exist anymore. Now, the truth is kind of in between there, or what the Bible says is the truth. And since we kind of trust the Bible here, we'll go with that as the truth. Uh, the Bible says man is a soul with a body. Yeah? And it doesn't allow for that transmigration of souls and all that. It says the, the body dies once, and after that, the judgment. Uh, the body is laid down at death, and someday it will be resurrected and reunited with the spirit. 
that has been somewhere. That's what we're talking about tonight. Where is that somewhere? Now, when I say the Bible teaches this dual nature, I'll give you a couple of verses. Third John 2, John wrote to Gaius, and he said, I hope you're enjoying good health, even as your soul is getting along well. Okay? He knew spiritually he was doing all right. Okay? But he said, I hope your, body, your physical body is enjoying good health, too. Okay? So that's one place it talks about it. Uh, probably the best place, and maybe the hardest place, but the best place is 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul talks about sexual immorality. And if you read through Paul's argument against sexual immorality, to be real honest with you, you get real confused quick. Because you say, what's he talking about? You know, he, he's talking about sexual immorality. It starts in verse 12, if you want to read through, if you can multitask. Uh, but he's talking about the body, having sex with another body. But that's not really his argument, because all of a sudden he's talking about spirits being connected to another spirit. And then if you really want to get confused, he throws in... Another one. He says the Holy Spirit's in there too. So that's his argument against sexual immorality. He's saying it's not just two physical bodies uniting. It's two spirits uniting. It's like you being related to Christ. that, That connection is so close that when two people have sex... Both the the physical part and the spiritual part are united in some mysterious way. And the Holy Spirit's in there too. And he says, how could you do that? How could you practice immorality, have sex with a prostitute, when you know the Holy Spirit is there? That's his whole argument against immoral sex. That it's a spiritual thing, not just a physical thing. It's not just two physical bodies uniting. It's two spirits uniting somehow in such a way that, if you read what Paul says, if one spirit was red and one spirit was blue, after having sex, they're both going to be a little purple. You know, we don't think of it that way much. We don't tell our teenagers that a whole lot. We just tell them you can't get... If you don't have sex, you can't get pregnant, you can't have STDs, and you can't do all this physical stuff. That's not Paul's argument. Paul says you can't put two spirits together like that. Okay, So that's a pretty good argument for the dual nature, the, the physical body and the sp- spiritual body. Okay, So the extinction recreation view, few people believe that, a few people that hold this materialistic idea of man and all that. Uh, don't need to know that to understand what the Bible says, but it helps if you're talking to some people. Okay, the second one is a little more uh, accepted by some serious Bible scholars. Uh, the soul sleep view. And their, their only difference between what I posited and what they believe is that the soul does continue to exist separate from the body, but it's not conscious. 
I said, I think the soul is conscious of the surroundings, of the conditions, of the time, and all of that. The soul sleep people say that, yeah, the, the spirit leaves the body at death, body goes to a grave, but the soul just goes to sleep. The soul's in a sleeping state, spiritually somehow, it's not, not aware. So from the person's perception... When he dies, the next thing he knows is Jesus has come, and he's been resurrected. Okay, He's being reunited with his body, the resurrection body, and he's going up with Jesus to meet him in the air, and all of that's happening. Okay? He's just not conscious during that period of time. So that's not an intermediate state as such. It's an unconscious state, a sleeping state, if you will. Now, where that started, I'm not sure where it started. I couldn't track far enough to find out. But where it got really popular was in the 16th century when the Catholic Church started teaching purgatory. And this was a good argument against that. A lot of people argued that, well, no, that can't be. You can't get a second chance. There's no such thing as purgatory because the soul's just sleeping. Okay. And it's not going to wake up until Jesus tells it to wake up. Comes back and gets it. Okay. Now, there's some biblical support for that. Well, you can read a lot of places. Uh, I put a few of them down for you. In the Old Testament, that was very common. So when somebody died, it says he he's slept with his fathers. Uh, Jesus himself said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Uh, Paul speaks a lot of places. I gave you three different verses where he says it. He talks about dead as being sleeping. Now, that's one way we as humans describe it, because when somebody dies, what's the body look like? Looks like he's asleep. So that's kind of a natural human tendency. Well, he's gone to sleep. But Paul and Jesus and in the Old Testament talked about sleep as maybe this afterlife kind of time. If so, there wouldn't be a conscious intermediate state. Um, now, I said some pretty good scholars believe this. Uh, when I just found this, I had a book by F. Lagarde Smith about the afterlife and all that. I'd never read it until a couple of weeks ago. I pulled it out and started looking through it. Uh, he holds the soul sleep view. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, he, I, I don't think his argument's very strong, which surprises me, but that's what he holds. Uh, he goes by those verses that I just gave you that where they talk about sleeping. Uh, and his other argument is that uh, all the people that died and came back, Lazarus and all the others that throughout history, never said anything about the afterlife. That's his argument. His argument is if Lazarus died and was in this afterlife for four days, when he came back, he'd have told us about it. But since he was just sleeping, he didn't have any stories to tell. Okay. I argue that just because not recorded, 
doesn't mean he didn't tell something. Uh, we don't have any record of it. But Brother Smith's position is that uh, they, they, they were just sleeping, all these people, so they didn't have any stories to tell. And he compares it uh, to fit. That's why he explains it. It's like physical sleep. If I ask you, when did you go to sleep last, when did you fall asleep last night? Could you tell me? I couldn't tell you because one minute I was awake, I think, and the next minute I was asleep, I think. You know, I don't know exactly when it happened. I could tell you, well, the last time I looked at the clock, it said 11 o'clock. But I don't know exactly when I went to sleep. Brother Smith says that's the way it is. When you die, the next thing you remember is when you wake up. The in-between, you don't know anything about it. Now, I I don't hold that position, uh, but remember what I said when we started this whole series? We don't know much about all this. (laughs) And if Brother Smith walked in the door... I wouldn't mind telling him, well, I don't agree with that. Maybe I need to study it some more. But he's still my brother. You know, this is not a huge thing to argue about. we got so little that the Bible tells us about it. I think I've got the most accurate position from some of the things we're going to look at in just a moment. I don't believe that soul sleep uh, is what happens in that intermediate state. Okay. So those are the two main objections. Now, assuming my position there is correct, what's the Bible say? How do we prove this if we can? Uh, I got put down some biblical affirmations that there is an intermediate state here. And I didn't give you a whole lot of detail on any of them, but you can read between the lines. Matthew 10, 28. What did Jesus tell people? He said, don't fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What's this tell us about man? That we got one inseparable nature? Nope, we got two natures. We got a spiritual nature and a physical nature. People, mankind can kill the physical body, but he can't hurt the soul. God can do what he wants with both of them. So Jesus... Uh, endorses the the dual spirit thing. All right. Uh, On the cross, Jesus endorsed that. He cried out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Okay. What was going to happen to his body? He was going to die pretty quickly. Going to be taken off the cross, put in the tomb, lay there for a while. What did he say about his spirit? Father, here it comes. Okay, that's Luke twenty three forty six. If you're on the internet, by the way, Luke twenty three forty two to forty three. Jesus' conversation with the thief. What's that tell us? The thief believed in him, and Jesus said to him, "Okay, today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me somewhere else." Now explain that one to me with a soul sleep picture. You can't do it. 
If you're unconscious, if you're not there, I mean, if you're there but you're sleeping and you don't know it and you can't tell stories when you come back, how can you be with somebody? Okay? You say, well, Tandy, I see a flaw in your logic. Well, you were asleep last night. Who were you with? I can tell you. She's the only one ever there. Okay, I know that, but if you're going to this unknown place, some of you get that in a little while. If you, you go to some unknown place where there's thousands and millions of people, how, how do you, can you tell somebody you're going to be with me there if you're going to be asleep as soon as you get there? Doesn't work. Okay, Acts chapter 7, verse 59, Stephen, as he was getting ready to die, the stones were bouncing off of him. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Okay. He knew that the spiritual body and the physical body were getting ready to separate. Okay. Now, all of those just kind of prove the dual nature. Now we get into something else here. First Samuel 28 uh, kind of a weird story about the witch of Endor and all that. But uh, Saul wanted to speak to Samuel. Samuel was already dead. And God let Samuel come back and speak to Saul. Okay. Samuel was dead. Okay. But he got to go back in some form and speak to Saul. That means he was conscious. He wasn't asleep. He was conscious. Secondly... It, it proves that he knew something about the passage of time. But because what did he tell Saul? He said, here's what's going to happen tomorrow. Samuel knew. He, he knew about time. He said, here's what's going to happen tomorrow, Saul. So he was conscious. He was in this intermediate state that we're talking about. He knew something about time. And very rare occurrence, but God let him go back and talk to somebody on earth. Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, Moses and Elijah, both dead, came back to talk to Jesus. Okay. Kind of argues against the soul sleep thing, certainly argues against the extinction recreation view. Uh, they were conscious enough, they came back in some form that was recognizable and spoke with Jesus. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Okay? Now, let's talk about the rich man and Lazarus a while. How Brother Smith gets around this story is he calls it, uh, I don't know if he calls it a parable, but he treats it like a parable. That's not a true story. And we've got to decide that. Is the story of the rich man and Lazarus a parable or a true story? We really don't. I'll tell you why in a moment. But let's say we got to decide that. Uh, the clues that we have are when Jesus told a parable, he never put any names in it. He just said there was a man. There was a woman that had a coin. There was a man that had a son. There was a son that went to a far land. All of that. He just tells a, a generic story. He never names the characters. So that's a big clue. A second, he almost always explains that this is a parable by saying the kingdom of heaven is like unto. Or what I'm trying to explain to you is like this. And then he tells the parable. Then you say, oh, okay, I get it. 
on this one, the rich man Lazarus, you go to Luke 16, and he just starts telling the story. He says there was a rich man. Okay? And he had plenty. He had so much stuff he had didn't want for anything. And there was a beggar that lived outside his gate, and the beggar was named Lazarus. He just tells the story like it's true. So that would indicate to most people that it's true. Uh, but I believe it's a story, a true story. I believe there really was a rich man, and a man named Lazarus that begged outside and all of that. But even so, I mean, stretch it to the max and say it's a parable. Jesus never told a parable that had anything false in it. They were all based in reality. He didn't tell fairy tales. When he told a parable, everything in it was reality-based. He didn't make up things that just would get us off track or teach us the wrong thing or be untrue in any way. When he told the parable of the prodigal son, there's nothing in there that's not real, that's not believable. There wasn't a real father and two sons like that because it was a parable. But he didn't make up, uh, the best way I thought to illustrate it, was when he said uh, the prodigal son went to a far land, he didn't tell about that land as having poppy fields and munchkins. Okay? Uh, that's the, some of you get that in a little while, too. Uh, if you, when he's telling a parable, all of it's real. I mean, it's believable. Yeah. So that's what he does with the story of the rich man. I believe it's a real story. But to get around <laughs> the soul, to the soul sleep view and all that, you got to say that the whole story is pretty bogus. Because in the story, he tells us about the afterlife. And he tells us a whole lot about the afterlife. In fact, he tells us almost everything we know about the afterlife. There isn't much in the New Testament beyond the story of the rich man and Lazarus about what the afterlife is like, this intermediate state. And if you go through that story, they were both conscious. One was in a place of torment. One was in a place of contentment. They remembered what happened on earth. They knew about the passage of time. The rich man knew that his uh, siblings hadn't died yet. He knew that they were coming to the same torment unless somebody taught them different. He asked Abraham, he could communicate across the chasm somehow. He asked Abraham, could you send somebody back to warn them? Abraham said, no, that's not not doable. We, We don't leave this place and go back there. And they've got people to teach them. If they don't believe them, they wouldn't believe somebody come back from the dead. You put all that together, man, soul sleeps a long ways from that. So you got to get rid of the whole parable. It's pretty unbelievable story, uh, unrealistic story, in fact. And I just can't do that. I think Jesus telling uh, a true story, even if it is a parable, the facts in it wouldn't be that misleading. All right. And finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's explanation of why we shouldn't fear death. If you read that whole thing, and it's a tough passage, 
But if you read the whole thing, it's about leaving this house, uh, getting out of this house and getting a new house and all of that. So uh, there's plenty of stuff in the New Testament that, it, that affirms that there is an intermediate state. All right, now next week we're going to talk about the nature of the intermediate state, but let's just do one piece because it's going to be long for a week by itself. Let's skip down to that second paragraph there about consciousness. Okay? What we're going to do next week is talk about what condition the soul is going to be in and where the soul is going to be, the location of the dead. Where's all this happening? If we are in a state where we are conscious of our conditions and our surroundings and the passage of time and all that, where are we going to be, how this is going to all work? We'll talk about that next week. But the consciousness part, let's just cover that so we don't have to spend so much time on it next week. Plus, I already mentioned quite a bit about it. When Jesus promised the thief that he could be with him in paradise, when Paul said, I can hardly wait to die so I can be with the Lord, those two things only make sense if we're going to be conscious in this intermediate state. If we're just going to die and go to sleep until the resurrection... You would tell the thief, okay, you can go to paradise today, and I'll see you in 2014 years plus something. Because I'm not staying there. You're going to be sleeping there, and I'll come back and get you later. But he didn't say that. He said, today, you can be with me in paradise. Paul didn't look forward to dying so he could sleep until Jesus came. He looked forward to dying and being with the Lord. So as soon as I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. Uh, The rich man and Lazarus, you read the whole thing and I already spent some time on that. They were aware of what was going on. The rich man knew this ain't fun. He said, I'm in agony. I'd like some relief here. And Abraham said, no, sorry, not going to happen. He said, well, then uh, somebody go back and warn my brothers. He was conscious of what conditions were on earth. He was conscious of what time it was. Abraham said, no, that's not going to happen either. Uh, They were conscious of their conditions, their surroundings, the time, all of that. So I think we're going to be conscious during the intermediate state. Next week we'll talk about we'll be without a body and we'll know whether we are in torment or in bliss. And then we'll talk about the location of all of this, where all this is going to happen. See if we can figure that out. All right, the lesson is yours. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation in any way, we're going to be happy to help you with that. Brother Tim is going to come lead us all. Let's stand. If you need to come, come. <laughs>